0: Hello and welcome to Agri-Food Matters, the podcast from the UCD School of Agriculture and Food Science that aims to shed light on the topics that really matter in the world of agriculture and food. I'm Sean Duke and I'll be your host for this episode, episode 11 in our series. Let's head over straight away now to Judy Dowsett, the co-producer of this podcast. So Judy, what do we have lined up for our listeners for this episode?
1: Um, so the scientists we're um, talking to today work in the area of precision agriculture or digital agriculture, um, which is the way in which technology can be used to improve soil quality and crop productivity by working out the right intervention needed in the right place at the right time to give targeted interventions. So the focus today, I suppose, it everything starts with the soil. If you think about it, nearly everything we eat um, starts with with soil. And so it's something which has been um, neglected in our past. And um, Dr. Mary Harty would be talking to us about the importance of soil as being the critical starting point for all of agriculture and how historical ways of tilling um, and managing um, um, crop production was actually causing huge damage to the soil and to the environment. So she'll be telling us about some technologies that are being used at farm level to improve the soil um, but also to improve um, yields and cost for farmers while protecting the environment. Um, and then we're going to talk to Professor Kevin McDonnell and his research um, centers around green technologies in agriculture and he's developed ways in which technology can predict and manage um, diseases in real time um, so um, the diseases that are found in crops um, can be managed um, so that only the susceptible crops are, are treated. Um, And that there isn't blanket treatment uh, uh, of crops and and fields. So his research has attracted interest um, from the United Nations, which is a really interesting story. And he's now involved in a major global project to ensure that these technologies are used for the benefit of all. It's all about the democratization, if you like, of these technologies so that they're not just owned by a few Uh, commercial organisations. And he'll be telling us about how Costa Rica, the Philippines and Kenya will potentially um, benefit in the near future from this research, which um, a lot of which has started in in UCD. So it's a a lovely podcast today. I hope you enjoy it, Sean.
0: Thanks, Judy, for setting the scene there for us. Let's hear first now from Kevin McDonnell who is developing and applying precision technology that can help farmers at home and abroad reach their challenging production and sustainability goals. I began by asking Kevin to explain to those that might not be quite sure what exactly is precision farming and why is it important? So
2: precision agriculture, which is often called digital agriculture, what that's doing is it's utilising sensors to capture information about the whole process, be it the crop production or the animal, the livestock production process. And the idea being that if we can capture more data throughout the growing season, and we can look at the performance of our crops, we can see how we can make better decisions. So we know intuitively that fields will yield differently within a field. So a farmer or a grower might say, "That's a great field. I got, you know, ten tons the hectare of wheat off it." But realistically, they may have gotten eleven tons in one part and seven tons in another part. So the idea with precision agriculture is that using GPS systems and, um, for example, a yield monitor in the combine. You can map out the performance of that field, and then you can subsequently go back to that same spot and say, well, why did I only get seven or eight tons of the hectare there? What's the difference between that part of the field and another part of the field? Is it soil? Is it texture? Is it moisture? Is it compaction? So you can go back and you can then develop management strategies based on subfield levels and decide, well, I could optimize one part of my field and really try and maximize the yield out of it. But there's another part of my field that, you know, I'm never going to get a maximum yield out of. So why would I spend as much money on the inputs and on the seed? I can probably produce six or seven tons at a different cost from that part of the field. So it's understanding it, uh, the data that flows throughout the entire growing season. And there's many ways that we can capture it. So we're using that to make better decisions throughout the growing season. And have we made more progress here now in Ireland or we still have a ways to go on that? We've. Definitely made more progress, but we absolutely have a long way to go. Um, When we look at the applications of of precision agriculture in in Ireland or even in Europe, it tends to be driven by some of the bigger companies, Raven, Trimble, Ag Leader, and so forth. And rightly, they've invested heavily in their platform. So they want you to stay with their platform. So there's a a limited amount of sharing that's taking place. And it means if you have machines that are from different manufacturers, it's not always easy to get all those machines to talk to each other and share the data. So the tractor is doing one thing and it's recording its location, and it's recording its speed and so forth. And the sprayer is doing something else, but we want them to talk to each other. So you know exactly where you've put out your chemicals and you know how much rate you've applied and where you've applied it. So when you go back and you link that to your soil maps, and you link that to your yield maps, you can see how you manage your field and the, the variable rates that you might use to try and optimize your field. So we're getting there, Sean, but we're just not there yet.
0: what about developing technology here ourselves? Are you involved in that, or is there any of that going on here in Ireland or Europe?
2: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of new areas being developed, a lot of technologies uh, being developed. We were involved in developing a technology which we called Crop Health. And what this was doing is, we were using cameras to capture images of the crop throughout the growing season and to look at the health of that crop. So we... In essence, we taught the system what uh, 5% or 2% or 10% disease in, for example, a wheat crop looks like. And then we give it a set of unknown samples or unknown images. We said, tell us how much disease is in that. And we're getting very good correlations. And the idea being that as an agronomist, if you go out to a field, you walk a portion of the field, but you don't get to see all the field. Whereas if you have a tractor with a sprayer going through the field, and maybe you're spraying for weeds, but you have a couple of cameras on it. So that's capturing images throughout the entire field, and that's looking for disease. So it's mapping out the entire field, and it's giving you a level of disease at different points within that field. And if you link that to, for example, a variety, and if you link that to weather maps, you could see, well, that variety is very susceptible to disease, but you know what, look at my weather maps, I'm actually in a dry period, so the risk of disease is quite low. I don't need to have an intervention, I don't need to go in and spray, and the cameras are telling me there's one or 2% disease level in the field, that's a low risk. Whereas you could also use it to say, well, actually, if I look at my field, I can physically see from the cameras, there is disease spreading through that field, and we're in a wet window period, I need to spray soon before I lose my yield or I have an impact on yield. So we're looking at this to try and predict, if you did spray, how could you protect your crop? Or if you missed a spraying window, What percentage impact would it have on the subsequent yield? So we developed that platform, that program. uh, And now we're working with a UK company, and an Irish company to license it. uh, And they're doing uh, field trials with it at the moment.
0: Wonderful. I mean, it's a a totally new way of looking at agriculture. From my point of view, you know, it's not like the farmer of old who kind of tries to guess the weather and adjust.
2: Well, I suppose that's one of the really interesting things about data. We're actually it's there. It's incredibly valuable to us. And what we're doing is you're still making the same decisions. So if you think about growing wheat, you probably have about three to 400 decisions that you need to make at different times throughout that growing season. But as an individual, if you don't know all the information, it's hard to make a really good decision. Whereas if you can use the data to grab information about weather patterns and varieties and susceptibility of disease and disease levels in your area, and looking at weather patterns of moisture throughout your crop and soil moisture patterns, the the algorithms can help you make a better decision and maybe help you optimize the yields in your field. So the data is becoming equally as important as the crop itself, because you might decide to completely manage your crop differently for a particular market. If you're going for uh, the microbrewery or the malting industry, they have very particular requirements on protein, and protein is linked to nitrogen. And the nitrogen in the plant is driven by the soil, the moisture content, and also the levels of nitrogen that you apply. So You might have a different management strategy and you can sense and measure that throughout the growing season to make sure you meet the specifications and the requirements from the end user so that you have a higher quality product. So the data is equally as valuable as the crop itself these days.
0: And do you detect that there's a bit like are, are say, some growers, farmers, are they a bit intimidated by the level of science that's involved in all of this? I mean, you know, are they up for trying to learn about it and uh, improve?
2: they're very interested, there's a tremendous level of interest in growers to utilize this technology. I mean, so many of the growers have smartphones, they're used to technology, they're used to taking images of their crops to try and identify it subsequently to compare it with the library index of disease and health to say, well, actually, what level of disease do I have in my crop? So they're good at doing that. I think one of our our difficulties is actually going to be about the data ownership, who actually owns the data, because if you're a grower and you're taking your images of your disease and you're uploading them to a platform and somebody is processing them and giving you an answer, they still have your data and they still have information about it. So there is a degree of concern about the ownership of the data and, you know, who has the right to it. And, you know, we've had lots of conversations internationally about this and how we might come to a better agreement. And I think the starting point has been the data belongs to the grower. And if somebody's doing a processing, okay, you need to have a data sharing agreement or a data processing agreement so we need to get those sort of ideas worked out as well
0: maybe a kind of a co-op where you would have a co-op of data or something like that
2: yeah yeah no absolutely um and that's actually not a million miles off one of the projects we're actually looking at the moment on behalf of the united nations um i was when we were working in the states i was working with a company called trimble and they're here in europe as well and about a little over a year ago they'd asked me what i worked with their Team in what's called a global uh, digital association, and the idea being that there's a lot of companies in the digital agriculture association, and they come together and they cooperate on standards and on protocols and things like that. And the UN had approached them to say, "Well, look, could we use this data to help people in you know less advantageous regions?" So the idea is that could we democratize digital agriculture and open it up to more people to use it? So they, they'd ask me, "Would I take a look at it and what could we do?" So, over the last year, I've been working with them on developing a concept that I've called Ag Protect. The idea being is if you protect agriculture in a region, you protect the food supply, you protect the soil and soil health, and you you hear about it from Mary Harty, but you also protect the carbon in the soil as well. And we know the important role of carbon in managing our environmental emissions as well. So, what we're looking to do is to try and capture a whole range of data from lots and lots of different sources. So there's weather, there's soil, there's texture, there's government data, there's lots of information. And we're going to see with this organization, the the Global Digital Organization, could we start to bring this data together? Could we develop a platform? So we're going to try this out in three countries, in um, Philippines, in Costa Rica, and in Kenya. And they're the countries that we've said we would pilot it in because we've got third party agreements. So I've developed a framework and architecture for this, and we're working with local parties in the ground, we're working with local government organizations to see what what levels of data do you have? How could we roll this out? And we're we're working with the extension departments and the universities in those regions as well to see how we might link to the growers. And the idea being, as you said there, maybe we share data on a cooperative level. So a lot of the growers are really small based farms, like one and two hectares, and they have no need for precision agriculture, but they know about their farms, they know about their soils. And if you aggregate that information on a regional level through a cooperative, then you could start saying, well, do you know what, we've too much of the one variety being grown in that region. It's all been sown pretty much the same week in May, and the soil is bare for the next two weeks until it starts to grow. And if you look at our weather patterns, oftentimes we get a lot of water risks of floods in May. So if we stagger our sowing dates in this region, we could protect the watershed and we could protect the water and the soil a little bit better. And therefore, we'd have a more stable production system but it would mean you'd have different management strategies and the co-op would give advice back to the individual growers about how they might manage their crops individually. So that's one of the areas where we're trying to cooperate, if you like, on a global level to see how we could use this digital agriculture to improve the 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 well-being of international countries.
0: Kevin McDonald, there. Now healthy soils are the basis for all agriculture and it's become increasingly difficult for farmers to maintain the health of their soils while also meeting environmental and sustainability targets. Mary Harty, a researcher interested in soil health, believes that precision technology can provide a way for farmers to protect the soil while also reducing farmers' costs and improving crop yields. I first asked Mary to explain what she understood by precision technology and how it can be used to protect soils and help farmers make better informed farming decisions.
3: Precision agriculture is, um, I suppose, a very um, it's a very broad term, first of all. And it's used in the, the, the sort of the definition of precision agriculture is the use of technology to better measure and control crop production on a site-specific basis that improves efficiency. So if a more efficient application um, of inputs, so your seeds and your fertilizer, even more effective utilization of tillage equipment, improved crop and field measurements, and all leading to uh, better uh, farming decisions. So, um, I mean, in theory, this sounds really good. And and there's a number of ways that farmers can get good information about their their soil type. Um, So you can use proximal sensing devices that can measure things. So you can get a machine that runs across the surface of the soil and using electrical conductivity measurements, it can be used as a proxy to identify more or less fertile areas in your field. You can measure your pH across the field and identify zones of different pH levels. And this is a really quick win in terms of nutrient availability, because if you discover half your field is of a low pH and half your field is of a normal pH, you only have to apply lime to half the field and you get full nutrient availability. Uh, you can use GPS to pinpoint locations and de- help devise these zone maps that shows different management zones. And farmers can use these either manually or they can upload maps to machinery, create prescription maps, and then manage the soils according to the map. So, a machine can have a sensor attached that will adjust the seeding rate or the depth of the culture or the application rate of fertilizer or fungicide, all based on the soil conditions or the crop properties. And your variable rate uh, technology, which automatically adjusts um, the chemicals applied um, on the go. Uh, You also have things like moisture probes that um, can be used to uh, advise how much moisture is in the soil. And that information then can be combined with, say, your local weather forecast data, uh, which then can be useful for helping farmers to decide what's the optimum weather window for me to safely carry out my field operations and cause minimum damage to the soil.
0: So this this obviously is a brilliant way to keep the soil sustainable as well over a period of time, as well as getting the most out of it.
3: It is, yeah. I mean, I suppose traditionally farmers um, manage their soil um, by having each soil type delineated off into different fields. So you'd have a kind of a the damp field in the corner and the field is good for growing crops and the field is close to the house. And typically the farmer would have all this management information in their heads but as agriculture intensified and machines got bigger, farms got bigger and fields got bigger, which meant that farmers pulled out the hedgerows. And they combined all these fields into bigger fields. So now taking out the hedgerow didn't change the soil. So you now have basically a very big field with multiple soil types, and all the, 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 the field is being treated the same. So, in simple terms, you've really fertile areas and quite poor areas for growing crops in the same field. So, the more Fertile parts of the field can hold more water, more nutrients and support more crops, whereas the poorer areas obviously can't. But the same blanket rate of, of inputs are being used. So in certain areas you're getting wasted inputs and in other areas you're getting not enough inputs in suboptimal yields. So, so we've kind of gone backwards almost rather than forwards and lost that subtlety of management that the original field layout would have supported. So now technology is really going to help us to identify the different zones and the different levels of fertility and figure out the best way to manage each zone
0: and are there farmers are there many farmers actually doing this at the moment in Ireland or is this you know something that's very very new all of it's, the time it,
3: it's, it's happening and it's growing but it's still relatively new because it's quite expensive to implement a lot of these technologies
0: and in yes, terms Adam. of um the soil in terms of protecting our soil and using our soil correctly I mean is this the way to go precision agriculture is this what we need to do?
3: Yeah, I, I think really, you know, we, we've we've <laughs> we've tried the other approach and we've we've obviously had some issues. Precision agriculture really is the only way um, to be able to really maximise the output. Now, we're, we're not there yet. There's still work to be done on, you know, on learning from the data that we've produced so far and helping improve the decision making further. But I do think um, precision agriculture is the future. Um, we need better. Decisions, and we need better information to support those decisions. Farmers really do care about the environment and about producing good quality food, um, and precision agriculture is the tool that will help farmers produce food to feed the planet, while improving soil health, reducing input levels, and the pollution load on the environment. Um, at least uh, start looking at how. I mean, we're, we're our experimental work out in Lions Farm. Um, is is looking at how we kind of move farmers away from using plough all the time to maybe uh, migrating towards some of the conservation agriculture uh, practices. So our research, um, and it was with uh, Professor Kevin MacDonald, uh, Dr. Saoirse Tracy, and David Hobson, who's our PhD student, looked at comparing um, conservation agriculture techniques like minimum tillage at two depths and zero tillage with the traditional cultivation plough till and sow method. Um, And then comparing how soil properties and crop metrics were affected. So we looked at the root architecture of the crops, the soil structure, the pore space, the crop yield, the quality of the soil. And we did the same experiments on two other sites in the UK, including a long-term tillage site. And the results were quite interesting because in Lions Farm, from a baseline of many years of conventional tillage, we found unsurprisingly the plough system generated best establishment and the highest yields. But the results in the long term site in the UK suggested that this will change over time because um, the site now was in the same treatments for about 12 years, but the zero till site um, performed the best, generated the highest yield, most prolific rooting, while some of the other um, minimum tillage um, systems had more root restricting layers. So if we don't cultivate the soil for a period of time, so we practice zero till in effect. The soil structure starts to build up again, and the soil repairs itself. The organic matter levels start to build up, and the soils become healthier. There will be a hit in yield for a period of time, but over time, that should improve. Um, and you know, and and the soil health should be restored. The, only, the other thing we found, which is quite interesting, was that even in the first year of our trial, um, in the site that had previously been cultivated in the conventional manner, there was a difference in the moisture availability in the zero till and the ploughed system. So there's a greater water reservoir under zero till than under the ploughed system. And that'll be really important as we go forward, especially farming under climate change conditions where the rainfall events are less frequent and more intense. We need our soils to be able to absorb and hold onto this water for for our crops. The reality is building the soil structure will take a few years. And we're looking at that process now, comparing the plowed system and the zero till system and hopefully be able to provide a roadmap for farmers who wish to move towards the zero till system in the future.
0: And will there be enough farmers that have the skills necessary to do this precision agriculture, do you think? Or is it going to take time and generational shift or whatever?
3: I mean, precision agriculture is complex. And I think one of the biggest challenges with it at the moment is it's too complex. So it needs to be made. more usable and i think a lot of the challenges are that so certain equipment manufacturers have built an entire precision agriculture system based on their platform uh, but you need to buy the entire platform in order to use the system so there just needs to be a better interaction between say one manufacturer of tractor and one manufacturer of uh, fertilizer spreader you know in order for all of that thing to work much better together and i think there's still work to be done in that in order for the whole precision agriculture um, offering to farmers to be, first of all, more affordable, but also easier to use, because you know the farmers are having to become experts in a lot of different things, and they really don't need to become computer scientists as well as everything else.
0: You are listening there to Mary Harty, soil health researcher. Well, that's all for this episode of Agri-Food Matters, the 11th episode in our series... If you'd like to get in touch with us or make suggestions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email me, Sean Duke, presenter of Agri-Food Matters, at Seancjuke at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it or review it on the iTunes podcast platform or any of the other podcast listening platforms on which it's available, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. Thanks for listening, and until we meet again here next time, it's goodbye from all of us at Agri-Food Matters.